promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by Citizens Bank, KPMG, and the General Building Contractors Association. This is Growing Greater Philadelphia, bringing you the stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11-county community of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Gabry. It's time for another exciting episode of Growing Greater Philadelphia. Thanks, everybody, for taking time out to join us. And we're thrilled to be joined this week by our good friend and our great colleague, Sean Hand of KPMG. Sean, it's great to see you. What's up, man? Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. You know, Sean, one of the things we've spent a lot of time on in this show is discussing what I would call cutting-edge innovations in the life sciences and in the tech industries. Yeah, I mean, those are huge industries in greater Philadelphia, and we could devote even, I don't know, 10 shows just to covering those industries. Easily. And there's so much more to our greater Philadelphia region than just our robust incubators and our bustling construction sites. We are truly a community of people who value wellness and balance, and not just in life and in work and everything we do. And I'm not just talking about things like hiking the trails of Bucks County or running along Kelly Drive or biking through Valley Forge. Yeah, all uh, activities that my wife tells me I need to be doing more of for my heart health. Mine too. Uh, (laughs) And the stories we feature on this episode of Growing Greater Philadelphia take us in new and various directions. One of our guests is actually building a new social and active lifestyle club that also allows people to get business done. So my wife will definitely love that. Absolutely. And our other feature, well, that focuses on the coming together of art, design, and business, and how all three intersect to bring a truly diverse yet balanced work and lifestyle. Yeah, our region is known for offering an outstanding quality of life. It's even recognized nationally, actually, thanks to the many arts and cultural offerings that we have here from you know, Longwood Gardens to, you know, over the bridge in Camden with the aquarium there to the Franklin Institute. Each one is amazing, Sean. It really is. And Greater Philadelphia, well, this area has always been at the heart of art, culture, and design. And it's not just those better known museums and garden sites like the ones you were mentioning. It's really everywhere. And this week, we showcase two business leaders who are designing the future and in really uniquely different ways, honoring Philadelphia's rich past as a maker space, yet always striving to make something better for tomorrow. Absolutely. Yeah. And to that point, the old city neighborhood of Philadelphia, which is one of my favorite parts of the city and surprisingly where my parents actually had their first date. Oh, fun, wow. fun fact for you. I told That's them I'd cool. give them a shout yeah. out. So I did. It's been known, the old city area has been known as a hub for art, design and culture for years. But there has been a recent like, innovative initiative to officially brand the neighborhood as the Design District. Robert Abel, founder and co-director of the Modern Gallery, describes how this idea found its footing. The owner of Minima, Eugenie Perret, was the one who started talking to other businesses in the area and talking about the idea of doing something that would build on what the neighborhood had been and still was, but the change that was beginning to occur, she noticed, we all kind of noticed it, but she went around and started talking to people. And the idea was that that there were many more design-related businesses that had opened in Old City than people were aware of. There was something going on. There was a change. Yeah, a Um, a movement, if you will, almost, and a clustering. Yeah, a clustering, exactly. There was a a shift because before that, it had primarily been art galleries. But now it was art galleries, but also a lot of upscale design galleries for the most part. 
And that change was something that she felt, and then we all agreed, was something that we needed to let people know had happened, that was happening and would probably continue to happen and grow. And so the idea of creating, initially, it was just a bunch of meetings. You know, we got together and talked and said, what do we want to do? Sure. We met over at the um, uh, Old City District office in the beginning, and then we just kept you know, talking. And in the beginning, Joe Bitkowitz was there listening at least. And and then we all just kept talking and then said, you know, this is time to really make the public and the press aware of what's happened down here because they won't get it unless we do something. And right. so that was, let's form an association. Let's form the Philadelphia Design District and brand the neighborhood that way. Gotcha. So, and that's where I was going. You're having these conversations. They're kind of loose. They're kind of unstructured. And as time goes on, they start to take a little bit more shape. How did the name Philadelphia Design District kind of evolve? Was it kind of natural or did you all kind of refer to it that way anyway? Yeah, it was It was pretty natural. But I think that partially that grew out of the fact that there are other cities like Miami that have the Miami Design District, Detroit Design District. So we there, there's already a precedent in some other cities for this happening. Now, gotcha. those, those cities have different kinds of design districts. But the idea of having, you know, something called a design district, which we all knew appealed to us when we went to visit those cities was something we felt we wanted to establish here in Philadelphia. And I want to be clear, and just to get a little bit more granular, the Philadelphia Design District, what, what, how do you define geographical boundaries? Well, always Old City has been loosely thought of as being between Front and Fifth Street, and at the very least between Market and Callow Hill. But generally speaking, the majority of the businesses that are located are on 2nd and 3rd Street between Market and Race. Yeah. But there are some outliers, like the Locks Gallery is up on 5th Street, and there are some other places. So we're not really... It is Old City, and some people are a little bit off the beaten path in Old City, so that you have to walk another block. Sure. But, yeah. yeah, but they're all part of the neighborhood. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. And the reason I was asking about that level of granularity around geographic boundaries, if you will, not that we have boundaries to your point a moment ago about how you know we're, we're inclusive is this notion of philadelphia design district we're not trying to replace old city we're trying to establish a brand within old city is that fair exactly but in addition to that we definitely want to establish that brand in old city but what we also want to do is what you said was be inclusive and so that means we are already and have been for months now thinking about ways to incorporate many other design-related, art-related businesses in the city into what we're doing. They are not locally where we are. They may eventually relocate there, which is what we hope in some cases. But also, we're trying to find ways to be inclusive and to make this a citywide thing, even though it's based in Old City. Robert's Gallery, it's truly one of a kind. Though the space feels very still, as one would think a gallery should feel, there is a warmth and a welcoming air to this inclusive art space that features handcrafted wood furniture. The piece that I really am in love with in here, and it's also probably the most important thing, is this dining table and 12 chairs by George Nakashima. Here, Robert explains everything that went into making this incredible piece. The top is... Persian walnut, which doesn't exist anymore. The base is East Indian rosewood. It's a book match top. 
which means if you cut the tree and you slice it, then you take two pieces and open it up like a book. And he changed the nature of woodworking because before that, the kinds of woods that he used that had flaws and, and knots and things like that were destroyed. They were burnt or thrown away. I do want to shift gears on you a little bit in terms of things that are changing. And I want to take three distinct trips in time <laughs> with you. Sure. And one of them's personal, mm-hmm. but I'm going to save that for last. You mentioned the 80s and the 90s. In fairness, some of the seeds of the Philadelphia Design District concept were planted probably 25, 28 years or so ago, and you were here. And I want to hear a little bit about that experience back in the late 80s and early 90s of a similar kind of movement. Realistically speaking, the shift that began in Old City was in 1976 at the time of the Bicentennial. Now, Philadelphia being the kind of city it was, everybody thought, oh, my God, Old City is going to become this amazing place because it's the Bicentennial, all the historical things down there, Alfred's Alley, the Bell, Independence Hall, you know, just around the block. But it didn't take off yet, 76. But the seeds, what you said is perfect because the seeds were there and Mm -hmm. there were several galleries opened up. And then we came down there in, in 1984, opened up in 84. And there were five of us. And then people began to look. I mean, quite honestly, when we first moved down there, we were open on primarily on the weekends. Right. And I would get phone calls on a Saturday morning. Is there a safe place to park around there? Right. right. <laughs> that was the image of Old City. I said, yeah, like anywhere on the street. It's a beautiful neighborhood. It's wonderful. But people had this strange image about it because there was still a lot of industrial businesses there. Right. And so they didn't really know because they literally hadn't visited it. Yeah, lack of familiarity. Yeah, Yeah, sure. So basically we watched as the rents were reasonable and more and more art galleries and design galleries started moving into Old City because they could afford it. And it was a great neighborhood. And then they also were, some of them quite young, like we had people who opened up an art gallery who came out of Tyler. And they were artists, but they weren't going to make a living right away as an artist, so they wanted to open up a gallery, show mm-hmm. their friends' works. and That sort of became a trend, and that, that didn't dominate, but then there were bigger galleries, more experienced galleries, all sorts of galleries. And over a period um, until 1990, when we realized there were 20 of us, and then a small group of us got together and formed... Uh, Well, again, sort of the same way as the Philadelphia Design District, we said, what are we going to do? We need to let people know we're here. Sure. Stop asking if it's safe to park here. (laughs) Right. And so what we did is we formed the Old City Art Association. And our first effort, which became a very successful one, was First Friday. Now, First Friday now is an established event in the city of Philadelphia. It has been since 1992 when we held our first official one. We had a brochure printed in 92 with about 20 galleries. Wow, that's great. And then between 1992 and 2000, amazingly, a number of businesses moved here, opened, took the empty spaces. And by 2000, we had about 50 galleries in Old City. Yep. So there was a, a huge growth that had gone on. And, but you know, that kind of growth isn't always going to stay that way. And partially, there were some of those businesses, as I said, were started by people who were 22, 23 years old who just came out. 
and they really were not that experienced in businesses, but also the rent started to go up. Right. Because it was Old City, and now it was a good place to not only do business, but to live. Yeah. 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 And if you look at all the development in Old City now with, you know, building and everything, it's amazing. And so the rent started going up. So a lot of those businesses couldn't stay in Old City. And so they either went somewhere else or they they closed up. But that, and and 2008, of course, took its toll on everybody and everything. But what happened was that slowly these design Somewhat higher-end design businesses either stayed or started moving in. And that's when we started to see the possibility of rebranding the neighborhood. But it had historically already happened. I mean, Old City had gone from being a place where people were nervous to park their cars to a place that they couldn't wait to go on First Friday. Yeah. And, you know, in the in the early years of First Friday, we had 5,000 people on a Friday night in Old City, which... You know, we never saw before that more than 20 people a week. You yeah, know, it was totally. amazing. So I love the fact that the Philadelphia Design District here in Old City in Philadelphia is really going through what I would call a renaissance or, or a reinvention of an old idea that, you know, occurred 25, 30 years previous. But actually, and this is where I want to go back even further in time, way before you and me, although your work as a as an academic as well as a as a business owner and a gallery owner and someone who's passionate about the arts, you have deeper insight into this. And it does tie into the whole spirit of invention, I would suggest, in the founding of our country because many folks would look at Philadelphia specifically and think of it as a makerspace, as a place for the trades, as manufacturing and innovation was really created here in many ways, including the democracy of the country and, and of the world. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that perspective in why this is such an appropriate initiative now in 2018 and beyond for creating this place that is known as the Philadelphia Design District. Historically, you go back to the 18th century, early 18th century, And Philadelphia was one of the major centers in the United States for furniture making, glass, ceramics, metals, you name it, many different things. There has been a long history of this being a center of innovation and creativity. For whatever reason, people sometimes forget about that, that it's been continuous. I mean, it never stopped. And that... You know, when somebody comes here and says, well, my God, there are so many people making things, galleries, um, artists, and where did this all come from? Well, the answer is this has been here for several hundred years, you know, it's been here for over 200 years, long, you know, 1720 or something like that. Right. And this is the nature of this city. It's just that it's overshadowed by New York is the real issue. In the final analysis, people always think, well, New York's the center of abstract expressionism and whatever, you know, because the new things sort of got their starts in New York. But Philadelphia was always a part of all this. That's right. And, you know, people like Wharton Escherich, who were based in the Philadelphia area, well, he was in New York constantly working with and associating with the artists in New York. It wasn't like he was isolated from that Philadelphia was a part of the art scene, of the maker scene. And again, for, you know, almost 300 years now, we're talking about something like that. And so it's really part of the history of this city. And if you went back into 1760 and asked people where they were going to go to look at furniture or find somebody to make something, 
Philadelphia would have been on the top of their list or very close to the top. To learn more about how Robert navigates through the art world, listen to our full interview at 1210WPHT.com slash select. And coming up next, the business, social, and lifestyle club of the future? Well, it's being reimagined and redesigned right here in Philadelphia. Greater Philadelphia is one of the most accessible cities in the United States. With its prime location between New York City and Washington, D.C., we can travel between major East Coast cities. For more information on Philadelphia's accessibility, visit selectgreaterphl.com and tune in every Friday morning at 5 on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to you by Royer Cooper Cohen Braunfeld LLC, a proud investor in Select Greater Philadelphia Council. RCCB are attorneys who think and act like entrepreneurs and business people, combining sophisticated, cost-effective legal counseling with entrepreneurial approaches and creative thinking. RCCB serves companies, business executives, and investors, as well as individuals and their families. Learn more about RCCB at rccblaw.com. This segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to you by Wells Fargo, a proud sponsor of Select Greater Philadelphia Council. Wells Fargo is a diversified, community-based financial services company with a strong vision of satisfying the financial needs of their customers and helping them succeed financially. Wells Fargo provides banking, mortgage, investments, consumer, and commercial financial services. Learn more at wellsfargo.com or call 1-800-869-3557. Copyright 2018, Wells Fargo Bank N.A., all rights reserved, member FDIC. Drexel University is one of the 15 largest private universities in the United States with over 24,000 enrolled students. Learn more about Drexel University at drexel.edu or call 215-895-2000. Welcoming new neighbors to the community is part of who we are. It's the Philadelphia way. That's why Select Greater Philadelphia invites you to the annual Welcome to Greater Philadelphia cocktail reception. Our chance to say welcome to the neighborhood and thanks for making Philadelphia your home. Thursday, October 25th. An evening filled with meaningful conversation and friendships. Register now at selectgreaterphl.com slash events. Presented in partnership with Berkshire Hathaway Fox Roach Home Services. We know great homes. From the city to the suburbs, our region is thriving and transforming. Businesses are getting bigger and better. Hear all about it here. This is Growing Greater Philadelphia. The future of how and where business people invest their time to get their work done and to socialize and work out and to dine and to share information as they meet new people that will help them be more successful in business and in life, all of that is evolving. And an entrepreneur in Philadelphia is leading the way. Yeah, and I had the opportunity to get to know this guy over the past couple months, man, and I'm telling you, what he's doing is amazing. These new spaces are referred to as quote-unquote lifestyle clubs, and they offer a comprehensive array of amenities. They're, you know, a blend of the traditional social clubs with a fitness center and everything you would expect there, but they also provide these co-working spaces and meeting rooms and hotel rooms and top-notch dining as well. And it's a perfect fit for our episode, Designing the Future. Yeah, man, I'm jealous because you and our team here at Growing Greater Philadelphia had the chance to sit down with the founder and CEO of Fitler Club, David Gutstadt. He explains his inspiration for creating this new lifestyle club. So there's a a little bit of a funny background story to this. I, in my prior role, I was a senior 
investment officer and the founder of a concept for Equinox. It was Equinox Hotels, and it was a hotel company that was going to be grown out of the lifestyle brand of Equinox predicated on health and wellness. And over the course of five years, I was very fortunate to be able to travel and tour the world and see the most interesting concepts in hospitality, fitness, spa, private clubs. And I found myself at a beautiful place in San Francisco called The Battery. It's a what I would call a version of a Soho house, but geared towards the San Francisco community, less focused on arts and creatives and more focused on entrepreneurs, influencers, social. And I stayed there and I Mm -hmm. thought it was wonderful. And I went to work out one morning in their gym, which was a pretty little boutique hotel-like gym, and it was empty. Right, And I'm a very chatty, inquisitive person. And I started chatting with the woman who turned out to be their director of health and wellness. And I said, what's the story with your gym? And she explained to me that very few of their 2,000 members paid the extra $70 a month to use their facility. Hmm. And they actually walked across the street to pay $200 a month to Equinox, which was ironically the company where I was working. So you were partly thrilled by that. I was ecstatic because I said, wow. Imagine if you had taken this amazing social and, you know, kind of environment that they've created with great design and there's a whole philanthropic side to what they've done with the battery and you married it with this other thing that people care so much about, which is health and wellness. And you can't walk two steps in any city in the country without running into a soul cycle, a boxing studio, a yoga studio, whatever the version of an Equinox or, or a big gym is. And I said, how amazing if you put these two things together, no one would have any reason to ever leave. And obviously we've evolved the concept beyond that. And I kept pushing myself to say, well, what else would you have if you wanted to create this ultimate lifestyle destination in a city? And the other thing, which has just been amazing when you look at the growth of this kind of industry that didn't exist five years ago is collaborative workspace. So you look at WeWork, you look at Industrious, Convene, et cetera, And I woke up one morning in May, two years ago, and I just said, boom, Like this all just makes 100% sense. And that was what got me going. And it's been described by some, maybe even by yourself, as disruptive hospitality. What does that mean to you uh, when you're blending all different kinds of experiences, sounds like, into one? Yeah, it's funny. The way I describe this is... This is not revolutionary, this is evolutionary, but Mm -hmm. it's evolutionary in a way that no one's really put these pieces together. If you go back 150, 200 years to the advent of the old line, you know, what really were men's clubs in in New York City and other other cities, they had all of these elements, right? If you you boil it down, there was a hotel. You go to the University Club in New York and you can stay there and you can have meetings there and you can work out in a you know old school gym there and you can eat in their restaurants, but they're packaged and they were created in an environment and a time where you know, things that we have today just didn't exist. There was no such thing as spinning classes and yoga studios and you know, the idea of having women and men in the same place just wasn't even on the radar. So all we've done is taken something that was a concept that suited the time when it was conceived and brought it forward to today. Anytime somebody joins a club of, of any kind, they really have to take careful consideration into that investment. You know, those benefits of membership, they have to be pretty tangible for them. So what kind of professional is Fittler Club actually attracting? 
So we get a lot of questions about what is the demographic of our typical member. And the way I like to respond is there is no demographic. We're really focused on what we would call a psychographic. So it's really a state of mind and the way you perceive yourself. And so we've had people say, am I too old? Am I too young? Am I too this? Am I too that? And we say, no, if you identify with design, great food, community, health and wellness, you want to be able to you know, have a place where you can work in a relaxed environment, whatever it is, and, and people are really looking at through multiple lenses right now, which is really interesting and great, then you're a target member for us. And if you want to be around the leaders, the connectors, the influencers of the city, current and the future ones, then, then this is the community that we're building for you. And I want to touch on location mm-hmm. because you're envisioning something new. And I love the fact that you're reinventing something and you're doing it in a place that is also being reinvented. Mm -hmm. And talk with us a little bit about 2400 Market Street, what it's been and what it's going to be. So it's an amazing story behind this building. And we've gone back and looked at some of the old archival photos and maps. And even before it was the building, which was built in the early 19 teens, there was a train station there. Hmm. And it was a hub of commerce and really transportation of goods. It wasn't a commuter rail station. And they built an amazing building that has obviously withstood 100 years of time and, and wear as the Hudson Essex Automotive Company building. And they used to service and show cars in that building. And when that business went defunct and after the war, it was used for some military purposes. And then it became a design center. And, you know, obviously when Lubert Adler and PMC bought the building, they cleared it out and had this amazing vision to not just redo the building, but build a building on top of the building, which right. is incredible. And the guts of this thing have withstood dropping two new cores through the middle of it and piles. And if you were on site and heard and felt the work being done, I mean, it's literally earth shattering type of work. Right. And everything we've done with our design of the club is trying to tie in and pay homage to the history of the building. So areas you'll see where we actually pay homage to the fact that there was a train line that literally stopped and you know engaged with this building or where the building was. Similar on the design side, really trying to bring forward and, and do something innovative and creative on the design side. And share with us a little bit more about some of the specifics that we're going to see at Fittler Club. Sure. So within the club itself, we're going to have a few key areas that are, I think, unparalleled anywhere. So first and foremost, we have the social areas of the club. Uh, we're very fortunate to bring together an unbelievable operating team. We have a literally a top chef winning chef in Kevin Sabraga. And uh, as our executive chef, I've got Jeff Benjamin, who is the co-founder and has worked with Mark Vetri for two decades um, and one of the top uh, restaurateurs and hospitality people in the city. They're going to program and run two world-class restaurants for us in the social spaces. We have additionally two bars up there and two lounge areas, which will be places where people could sit and work, socialize, play all day. We've got 14 luxury hotel rooms. It'll be a five-star hotel. I think this will be the finest, certainly boutique hotel in the city of Philadelphia. And within the social spaces, we also have not just a business center, but real collaborative workspace and private office suites that people can actually permanently have so they could have their work actually be physically within the confines of the club. 
We have also, I forgot, our, we have a, a beautiful screening room. We'll have a 50-seat mm-hmm. screening room, which will enable us to screen first-run films. Um, we're partnering with the Philadelphia Film Office. And oh, uh, we have some pretty notable people in the uh, Philadelphia film and entertainment industry who are partners of ours in the club as well, which is Excellent. exciting. Yeah, that makes sense. And then kind of moving to the lower level of the club, we have 25,000-square-foot health and wellness facility. So we'll have a fully equipped gym with not just the cardio and the weights and, and the basic equipment, but we'll have studios, which will enable us to do Pilates, yoga, spinning. We have a climbing wall. We have a high-end golf simulator. We have a turf training area. We've got a 25-yard lap pool. We'll have a spa, and we have a salon. And then to kind of top everything off, we have about 10,000 feet of event space. And those, in addition to serving the members, will serve the greater Philadelphia community. So we want to become the new hub for any high-end events. It could be weddings, social, you know, other social functions, corporate meetings, offsites, etc. And in addition to the 4,600-square-foot ballroom, we will have a what I think will be the most unique room in the city, which is a double-height room with a mezzanine, which will have not just bowling lanes, but every game's table you can imagine with about 1,100 feet of flexible breakout space that will enable groups of up to 100 to come in and do off-sites and parties, etc. David also shares with us why he believes the greater Philadelphia region is a great place for entrepreneurs. To hear that insight and more, as well as all of the stories featured on Growing Greater Philadelphia, be sure to head online to 1210wpht.com slash select. Growing Greater Philadelphia is presented by Select Greater Philadelphia, a council of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. Select is the business attraction organization for Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. We focus on growing the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses and new jobs to our community. Special thanks to our investors and our partners who believe in our work. And a special thanks to producers Elena Carmazan and Maricela Juarez and our writer Samara Grizel and our researcher Steve Boucher. Learn more at selectgreaterphl.com and tune in to our podcast on 1210wpht.com slash select. Thanks and join us next week. This is a citizen's perspective on instant gratification. Presented by me, Terry Goggins, branch manager at Citizens Bank. Today, we live our lives on our phones. We can order food and have it delivered to our doorstep. We can request cars to come pick us up wherever we want. We can even find a date. And it all happens in a flash. On the Citizens Bank app, together with Zelle, you can send and receive money in minutes from just about anyone with a bank account in the U.S. Straight from your phone, too. And while some things on your phone, like your parents' Wi-Fi password, can be hard, Capital T, lowercase c, 8, is that a O or a 0? Zelle is easy, the way sending and receiving money should be. Learn more about how our mobile app with Zelle can help you reach your potential at citizensbank.com slash Zelle. To receive money in minutes, the recipient's email address or U.S. mobile number must already be enrolled with Zelle. Only use Zelle to send money to people you know and trust. The Zelle service is property of Early Warning Services, LLC. Wireless carrier text and or data charges may apply. Member FDIC. Citizens Bank is a brand name of Citizens Bank and Citizens Bank of Pennsylvania. Independence Blue Cross is a leading health insurance company offering health plans including managed care, Medicare, and Medicaid with over 10,000 dedicated employees. Learn more about Independence Blue Cross at ibx.com. Liberty Property Trust, a national firm with Philadelphia roots, is one of the nation's largest commercial real estate companies, owning 100 million square feet of industrial and office space. Learn more about Liberty at libertyproperty.com. 
This segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to you by Comcast, NBC Universal, a proud investor of Select Greater Philadelphia Council. Comcast is deeply committed to the Philadelphia community and is proud to be headquartered here since it was founded as a startup 55 years ago. Learn more about Comcast at ComcastCorporation.com. Greater Philadelphia is an economic powerhouse. As citizens of Philadelphia, we contribute to the fifth largest economy in the world with a population of approximately 6.3 million people. For more information on Philadelphia's economic impact, visit selectgreaterphl.com or listen to the Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast at radio.com.